0: Y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is a place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And this episode, number 290, I have the privilege of
1: introducing you to Dr. Kara Powell. So, you know, we train parents to say, I don't know, but, you know, boy, I don't know, but that's such a good question. Let's get together in a couple of days and talk about it more. Or, I don't know, but you know, I know somebody at our church who loved asking those tough questions about science and faith. How about we invite them over for dinner or have them over for coffee? I don't know, but here's what I have found to be true about God, and here's how God continues to shape me. So, you know, sometimes we need that placeholder for when our kid stumps us, and, and I have found those four words, I don't know but. They've been my go-to with my own kids. Dr. Powell,
0: although she'd prefer we call her Kara, has her PhD in practical theology. She's the executive director at Fuller Youth Institute and a seminary professor at Fuller. And today she's joining us, sharing some research she's found on how faith sticks to kids. What is involved in training our kids to continue to follow God for their lives. And I'm hoping that you will be put at ease, encouraged, and maybe even a little surprised by what she has to say. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Kara, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thanks, Heather. It's awesome to be with you and your listeners. Well, we are thrilled to have an expert on something that, oh man, as a parent feels so overwhelming. Yeah. We desire to build this faith in our children, but feel so ill-equipped. So thank you for offering
1: your wisdom and insight on that. My pleasure. I think we're going to have a great conversation.
0: Yeah. So you have several books. Uh, You have a book called Sticky Faith and a series of growing with books that are geared to help parents navigate faith with their kids. So tell us why your team did the research and how you compiled it.
1: Yeah. Well, our team at the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary, we became pretty disturbed, oh, now probably about eight or nine years ago, when we were seeing a bunch of studies saying that about 40 to 50 percent of kids from great families like yours, great families like your listeners, great churches, about 40 to 50 percent of kids, once they graduate from youth group, end up drifting from God and the church. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's a huge amount. So you know, yeah. think of think of the kids that we all care about—your four kids, my three kids, all the kids we know—and imagine half of them drifting from Jesus after they graduate from graduation. Mm. And and so, as a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, um, I wasn't satisfied with that. And so, our team studied over 500 youth group graduates during the first three years in college. I used to say through their junior year of college, but first three years of college and junior year, <laughs> not always the same thing. <laughs> <three> <laughs> college, yeah, uh, And I'm so glad that so many of your listeners are parents of preschool and elementary, because when we did this research, which we came to call sticky faith research, um, it, it changed how we parented all three of our kids and our youngest was six at the time. Yes. So how old are your kids now? Yeah, they're now 19, 17 and just turned 14. So we have three okay. teenagers. Okay, okay. Yes.
0: And so how did it change you? You said you were starting to say that.
1: Yeah, um so many ways. You know, I would say <sighs> it, it, it's hard to even enumerate because our sticky faith research has changed so much for me. Mm. But uh, you know, every, I think every day my husband and I parent differently and better because of sticky faith. And if I had to pick just one thing, it would probably be the power of warmth in a family. Um, mm. you know, it's so easy in the midst of the busyness of family life to get focused on carpools and chemistry homework and all it takes to keep a family functioning. And, you know, we as parents, we can get focused on simply getting kids to obey our rules, or even if we're trying to, you know, be the parents that we want to be, we're looking for the tip or the trick that will, you know, yield some kind of result in our kids. And, and certainly in this conversation, we'll talk about some helpful phrases to say and, and things to do and all that, but multiple studies have shown how important it is that kids are connected to their parents, heart-to-heart connection. Um, And what's a little daunting, Heather, is that it's not how I feel connected to my kids that counts. It's how how connected my kids feel to me. And our kids are often harsher graders on that. (laughs) So we might feel pretty connected with our kids, but our kids might not be feeling the same in return. And that's what really matters. And so, you know, slowing down, putting my laptop away, looking my kids in the eye, carving out the time one-on-one or all five of us together and building that warm relationship. I, I think more than anything else, that's been the implication of our research. Wow. Okay. (laughs)
0: trying not to feel the guilt, but (laughs) even in the midst of like right now, I'm thinking my, my hope as we headed in a few months ago into the pandemic was, Oh goodness. Now with our adjusted schedules, I'm just going to be so connected to my boys. Yeah. And the reality is two months later, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm not so sure. I think I'm, there's this balancing act, especially if anyone is work trying to keep their job and work from home. And cooking all the things and cleaning all the, it just
1: it, it it's not as easy and simple as extra time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would say with the pandemic mm-hmm. the one thing that I'm missing the most is the one-on-one time that I right. have with my kids because, you know, I would say our our family dinners are truly better than ever and, you know, we've created some family rituals in this pandemic. It's not all sweetness and light. Believe me, we have, we have (laughs) three teenagers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You say all female, like it's all girls. uh, A son and then two daughters. So, you know, we have our share of grumpiness and and meltdowns and all of that. Um, But, but the biggest loss for me during the pandemic has actually been the no one on one time in the car, because that has been such a good time historically to connect with my kids. I've had to loiter in their bedrooms a whole lot more. Um, and yeah. and be, my, my challenge is I get so focused on whatever I'm doing on my laptop, whether it's for work or whether it's for our family, that the kids will come in and start talking to me. And I'm trying to finish up that one last email. And oh, I'm, I'm, doing my, I'm trying to put away the laptop, look them in the eye, have the conversation then because that one-on-one time, I just don't get as much of it during the pandemic now.
0: And I know moms that listen to this feel guilt for not sitting on the floor and playing, yeah, but generations before didn't do that, yeah, and faith continued. so
1: what is the difference? yeah Why well is that? you know what I, i'm I'm glad you asked, and what I would say is uh, I mean we know this uh, all of our kids are different, and we are different as moms, and so one of the things that that Dave and I have tried to do with our kids is figure out the time that's most meaningful to them and how do we dive into what they're passionate about. So, you know, my son's passionate about sports and I am too. So that's actually pretty easy for me to, sit with him. You know, when, when the NFL was happening, we'd watch, uh, we'd record games and then watch them in about an hour. Um, we just finished watching the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary yeah. and, yeah. and that, the edited version. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard there's two ESPNs in yes, one. Is exactly. it ESPN two that has the edited? Two has the edited version. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, and that became our, our Sunday night ritual is to watch the last dance, you know, with him, which was, which was super meaningful. And then, though, like our youngest, she loves, right now she's really into hamsters. And I know this is going to offend some listeners. I'm not a huge pet person.
0: <laughs> That's uh, not going to offend anyone. Uh, They're going to okay, be like, well, uh, oh, thank goodness, someone else. Okay, good. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I, I manage five schedules. I don't need to manage a hamster schedule, too. Right, so, right. So you know, all she wants to talk about is hamsters these days, Heather. And we finally, we finally gave her permission yesterday to get a second hamster. And I really don't care that much about hamsters, but. Be- because it's important to Jessica, like, I'm, I'm trying to show enthusiasm for that hamster. When, to be honest, I'd way rather be talking to my son about sports. Right. Um, so, you know, how do we enter into what's important to our kids, whether that's art? I'm also not into art. And our same youngest who's into hamsters loves art. And so sometimes I just have to, you know, grit my teeth and go to the art supply store with her and buy a project and sit, you know, with her near her and do it with her. And, and I got to say, without our research, I I wouldn't have done that because, again, that warm relationship—it's actually correlated to a young person's faith. Um, this is one of the things that surprised me in our research: is that when young people feel close to their parents they're also more open to what's important to their parents, including their faith. Hmm. And so it's not just good for our family relationships. It's also good for the long-term uh, faith trajectory of our kids and stepkids.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. Nothing you mentioned said anything about a devotional or yeah.
1: a Bible verse. Yeah. Well, and I would say when my, when my kids were younger, we had certain uh, sprints of, or seasons of time when devotions worked really well. And especially as we were tucking our kids in, Um, you know, we did different, they tended to be, gravitate toward different devotionals and we would do devotionals. Normally we'd read them silently. We we found that that uh, felt a little bit less forced if we just sat next to each other, read them silently, and then maybe picked out a sentence that stood out to us. Um, but there are cert- have certainly been seasons where that, that hasn't worked for us, but through all seasons, we're trying to focus on, on that relationship and building a warm heart to heart connection with our kids. Hmm.
0: So how, like you've mentioned how you're connecting with your teenagers. Do you think that that's how families? need to think differently in their parenting of teenagers and young adults? Or how, what else do you think they need to
1: consider? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, parenting teenagers and young adults, it's probably never simple. And, and <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's perhaps more complicated now. I mean, what's interesting is when you look at census data, um, young people are getting married five years later, having babies five years later, uh, than some of us who are over 30. So you know, many of the traditional markers of adulthood that we crossed in our young 20s are now being crossed in our late 20s, which kind of elongates the, the parenting tightrope, so to speak, um, through adolescence and young adulthood in those 20s. And so my friend and colleague, Steve Argue and I, we've written a book just geared for parenting teenagers and young adults called Growing With. And the whole premise in growing with is as our kids are growing, we need to change our parenting. And, you know, what worked when our kid was uh, 14 ends up becoming, um, what my children say with me, uh, overly helpful, you know, <laughs> when they're 17. And so, um, so you know, as, as a parent, we need to honor our kids maturing. We need to step back. We need to not rescue them. We need to let them make their own decisions. Um, and every once in a while that decision's gonna be a mistake. And while everything in me wants to step in and rescue my kids, you know, what one of my colleagues has said at Fuller that that I want two things for my kids. I want my kids to never experience pain. And then secondly, I want them to have the kind of growth and character that only comes from pain. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever your age, whatever age your kids, I think we have to ask ourselves, when when do we step in and rescue, protect, shield, and when do we say, no, you know what? I think my child needs to navigate this because this is going to help them develop the kind of grit that they need. Mm. So
0: good. So hard. Oh, so hard. So hard. So kind of going along with that, a lot of parents are trying to talk to their kids about faith, uh, and I know that conversation changes. And and it can we can hit seasons where those conversations don't go well. So how can we have better conversations with our kids?
1: What advice do you have? Yeah. Well, and uh, these would be some of the other things I've said where my, our research just very much changed my parenting. I'll, I'll focus on two aspects of parent-child faith conversations. Okay. The, the first has to do with what we share about our own faith as parents. So before our research, and again, our youngest was six when we really started uncovering this research. So our kids would have been six, nine, 11. We're in the minivan coming home from church, or you know, we're, we're having a toast at 11 o'clock after church in our family room. And Dave and I would say, well, you know, what did you guys learn in church today? Or what did you study in church today? And they would give us an answer. And we would kind of nod along what we weren't doing as parents is we weren't sharing what we learned in church that day. Huh. Um, you know, we were interviewing our kids, super well intentioned, interviewing our kids, but not sharing about our own growth. And this, is, we had a whole PhD student who, in yeah. our sticky faith research, focused on parent-child faith conversations. And what she found was it was good. It's good, Heather, for you to ask questions of your four sons. Keep doing that. But what is as important on that drive home from church or as you're processing, you know, something together that you're seeing in the news, whatever it might be, what's as important is that the parents share about their own faith journey also. And so, you know, instead of just interviewing our kids on the way home from church, um, Dave and I started sharing, well, here's what we learned in the worship service or, or I, you know, when I volunteer in student ministries, here's what we talked about in youth group so that it became much more of a conversation. So that's, that's the first thing I would say to parents stepparents, step-parents, grandparents, guardians, is you know, look for ways to share organically and naturally about your own faith. And I love that so many of your listeners are parents of preschoolers and elementary age because it's far easier to start that pattern when they're that age than when they're 17. Yeah. So you know, better to start this at 7 than 17. And then the other thing that I would say that's very much changed our faith conversations with our kids is the importance of doubt and talking about doubt. Yeah. Um, In our research, uh, about 80% of youth group graduates had pretty significant doubts about God when they graduated from high school. At some point during high school, they they had doubts. And while that might be alarming, it actually wasn't. The difference in how they navigated those doubts is whether or not they had an opportunity to talk about it. And what we found is that when high school students had an opportunity to express and explore those doubts, that was actually correlated with greater faith maturity. So put more simply, it's not doubt that is toxic to faith, it's silence. Um, and so, you know, we have tried to create an environment in our house where we can talk about our tough questions about God, about when we disagree. Sometimes I'll ask my kids, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? As my kids are now teenagers, you know, I'll ask them, you know, how, has how your faith grown in such a way that you think maybe you and I believe something different and let's talk about that. Just yesterday, because it's the pandemic, we're doing kind of family church on Sunday mornings. I usually watch much of our church's online service and then talk about it. And yesterday our 17 our year old, she really pushed in on something and she said, Mom, I, I don't I don't really like how you phrase that question. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. And so we unpacked that and, and Heather, that was actually the best part of our conversation yesterday morning. Yeah. And so I said at the end, I said, you know, Krista, thank you so much for pushing in on that question. That was my favorite part of our, of the discussion we just had. So creating an environment where we can talk about the tough things we see in the news, um, the questions we have about God, God can handle those questions. He's big enough to handle them. And so we want our homes to be a place where we can talk about them yeah not feeling like we
0: have to defend God,
1: like that wrestling is you know
0: job does it, God shows up and says, Now who are you can yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you there when it's okay, he can defend himself, and I think, yeah, that posture of gratitude to your kids when they offer those questions that's really helpful instead of fear, uh, oh my gosh, they're asking questions that means they don't love Jesus, yeah, I mean oh, I think I- it I think it was two night it was good Friday. <laughs> several years ago when my, one of my sons told me he hated Jesus mm. and he loved Satan. Mm. And I thought he's trying to get a rise out of me. Totally. But you know, at the same time you're like, what am I doing wrong? It wasn't two days later that he had a moment where I think he hit a brother and I was talking to him about it. And he said, why does God want us to sin? And I, we talked through that, that that's not God's intention. And he spontaneously started praying, Lord, thank you that you love us, that you sent Jesus, that you don't want us to sin, that you want us to be with you forever. Like He prayed a salvation
1: prayer, and two days before, he just said he hates Jesus. So <laughs> Right, right, right. And, and my, my hunch is part of what he said that first time is he yeah. was looking to see how you were going to respond. Yeah. Like, is mom going to freak out? Can she handle this? Um, And, you know, one of the phrases that I keep in my hip pocket that I've I've used so many times with my kids, and, you know, I have a PhD in practical theology, and (laughs) my 14-year-old can stump me with her questions about God, you know? And so, so, you know, we train parents to say, I don't know, but. Mm. Um, you know, boy, I don't know, but that's such a good question. Let's, yeah. let's get together in a couple days and talk about it more. Or I don't know, but you know, I know somebody at our church who loves asking those tough questions about science and faith. How about we invite them over for dinner or have them over for coffee? I don't know, but here's what I have found to be true about God. And here's how God continues to shape me. So, you know, sometimes we need that placeholder for when our kid stumps us. and And I have found those four words, I don't know, but uh they've been my go to with my own kids
0: that's really freeing for the parent who maybe didn't grow up in a home of faith and is fearful of these conversations because they don't have the answers or and several guests i've had on the show that that's true for them have said it was the growing in faith alongside their children that was so right. helpful so asking right. the question i don't know but and let's go look together let's, let's go see together. what we can find together and Absolutely. instead of being afraid of it i think that's a great phrase I don't know, but I love it.
1: Good. I love it. Good. <laughs> Good. Yes.
0: Okay, mamas, you've been taking care of all the things and all the people and feeding and working and cleaning and educating. And now it's summer and i think that in order to finish summer well i want to help you be mentally and physically as healthy as you can be and so i want to introduce you to one of this month's sponsors beach body on demand what it is is you get instant access to over 1300 workouts you can stream anytime and these are amazing world class trainers on the beach body programs like tony horton you've got shan t you've got autumn calibries and these some of these workouts are as short as 10 minutes you can Pick and choose one that matches what you like to do. I've been doing the bar blend, which is like a ballet-inspired workout, and I'm about four weeks in, and already I've noticed I'm able to do things I wasn't four weeks ago, and I'm feeling more mentally clear and physically strong, and I want that for you. So here's the fantastic news. As a listener of Don't Mom Alone, you get to try it absolutely free. So to get your free special Trial membership, text DMA to 303030. You're going to get full access to the whole platform, all the workouts, nutrition info, and support absolutely free. Just text DMA to 303030. And let me know if you start any of the programs, especially if you join me with Bar Blend. All right, let's get back to my chat with Kara. Here we go. Thinking about these parents that maybe didn't grow up in homes of faith or just so many especially now. So many parents feel alone, isolated, and this, you know, especially the faith aspect of parenting. What encouragement does your research offer to those parents?
1: Yeah. Well, the good news is parenting is not meant to be a solo sport. Um, God's designed us to live in community. God's designed us to uh, be in teams, be in friendship. And, you know, you asked earlier in the podcast, how has our research changed my parenting? And one of the other top answers I would give is it's changed the way that Dave and I have thought about the community we want to surround our kids. So in in our sticky Base research, you know, following youth group graduates during their first three years in college, we looked at 13 different youth group participation variables, 13 things that kids tend to do in the context of youth group. Studying scripture was correlated with mature faith. Service and justice was correlated with mature faith. So many things that we would hope are correlated with mature faith are. But of everything we looked at, the one that was most correlated with mature faith in high school and college was intergenerational worship and relationships. Hmm. Um, In other words, not, not always having the children's ministry separated on its own, not always having the youth ministry separated on its own, but somehow figuring out a way to build relationships with each other and periodically uh, worship together. And my friend, Chap Clark, the way that he made that really tangible is he talked about, uh, we need to reverse the five to one ratio. So if I was talking with a group of church leaders, you know, Sunday school teachers, children's ministry, youth ministry, I'd say, if you look ahead to you know this coming weekend at worship, you probably want one adult for every five kids. Let's imagine that we reverse that and have not one adult for five kids, but five adults for each kid. And I'm not talking about five Bible study leaders. I'm not talking about five Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about five adults who, as we say in our family, are on your team. Hmm. Um, Five adults that you can go to with your tough questions, that you can go to when you can't talk to your parents about something, not if, but when you can't talk to your parents about something. Um, Five adults who are going to show up at that Girl Scout event, who are going to come to that piano recital. Um, Five adults who you know are there for you, are praying for you, and are on your team. And so, you know, over the years, especially in elementary and middle school and high school, Dave and I, we've just been pretty diligent in making that overt with our kids, talking to our kids about the adults who are on their team. Um, You know, even doing a ritual when they turned 13 to really kind of cement the five adults who are on their team. It affected how we sent our son to college, how we did his graduation party, and just really tried to signal, hey, here are the adults who are still with you. You know, the the pictures we sent him to college with that he had in his dorm room on his windowsill that he saw every day of him with the, the five men who prayed for him and his graduation party. And you know, there's nothing particularly magical about five. It can be three, it can be one, it can be seven. But the point is adults who are journeying alongside you. Um, and the good news is, Heather, is that um, what, we, what we found is that kids, those adults tended to be adults that their family was already connected with somehow. Yeah. So it's not like, oh gosh, now I've got to go create more relationships. (laughs) It's more, I mean, talking to your kids. Hey, who are some adults that, that, you know, you'd like to get to know better? And they might mention a neighbor or a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. Um, And then saying to that person, hey, you know what, can can I just invite you over to lunch sometime? Or, you know, when our kids were younger, if they were babysitters, that would be even better because I'd have them babysit and then... We were accomplishing two purposes at once. And so, you know, we can talk with our kids about this, see who do our kids already kind of connect with. And then how do we turn the dial a few clicks with making those relationships more intentional?
0: That's fantastic. I'm thinking of, you know, I'm I'm sure everyone listening is thinking about their people. And I'm thinking about how um, we're a part of a small group now. And prior to COVID, once a month or even more often we would have a Shabbat or a Sabbath dinner with all the parents, all the kids and also awesome. would take a moment to sp- have the parents speak a blessing over their kids. But I'm thinking about how powerful it could be if we swapped and I spoke a blessing over some, you know, another family's kids. Um,
1: yeah, I love that. I love that. And, and so you're taking what you're already doing and you're thinking, how how do I connect my kids with other adults, and how do I get how do I get connected to other kids? I mean, I want to be part of this web of relationships for other people's kids too. So that's a perfect example, Heather. When I think it, re-
0: it's one thing to meet as a small group at church on campus. It's another thing when we take those relationships that are built in through church to our homes, or yeah. you know, let's meet at the park, or let's. <laughs> things that we're all looking forward to um, yeah. again very yeah. soon. But even getting, cre- I mean, socially distanced uh, times of gathering. But I think that my boys are more likely to go to the husbands in those families because of time of us casually hanging, being together. So
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, And, and related to that, I mean, this is a wonderful game to play with uh, elementary age. Is We've played in our family the Who Would You Talk To About game. Um, where, you know, as we're driving a car or at a meal or, or having popcorn together, you know, who would you talk to about a challenge you had on your soccer team? And if you couldn't be a parent, you know, ask your kid, who would you talk to about? And that also gives you a window of where there's kind of some latent potential for an adult to really invest in your kid. It's, it's probably going to be adult. They're already somehow connected with.
0: Well, and that helps deal with all of our fears of the bad adults out there, the evil. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, In your research too, you kind of hinted at it that uh, kids want to be involved in service and justice work, but it's stickier when that service hits close to home. Why is that?
1: Yeah. And this is, I mean, I love teenagers and I could, (laughs) I could talk all day about how awesome teenagers are. Um, And one of the things I love about teenagers is they do have a heart to change our world. Mm -hmm. Um, When we surveyed these 500 youth group kids, two of their top three things is that they wanted to serve more um, Mm -hmm. and wanted to make more of a difference. So one of the interesting, I I think, uh, untapped potentials for families is to serve with their kids. Um, So often in churches, you know, before our research, this is what we were doing, is I was serving generally in student ministries. Dave was usually on, you know, the deacon board or the personnel board, or he was on various boards. And our kids were all serving through, um, you know, whatever age they were in that was serving, whether it was, uh, you know, letters they were writing in elementary school or feeding the homeless in middle school, whatever it might be. And then I, I looked at our research at how much kids wanted to serve and the research of Diana Garland out of Baylor that looked at how family service actually has some unique generative potential to bond family members with each other and um, to you know, create conversation starters while you're serving and e- even in between. And so, um, so you know, our goal as a family for a while is I wanted our family to serve together um, every month. And honestly, there were times when I was an abysmal failure at that goal. And, you know, schedules just didn't align. Um, There was a season where much of the way that we were serving together was by sponsoring a compassion child Mm -hmm. and, you know, writing letters to her. And and that was something that was better than nothing. Um, Now, actually, the pandemic has given us more opportunities to serve. So we actually volunteer at a food distribution center every Thursday, the five of us. But, you know, I would say this is the most work we've ever, ever been bringing together is, is now in this pandemic because our kids have more time and there's so many opportunities and needs. But all that to say, you know, without adding yet another layer of, <laughs> hey, parents, here's what you should do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is often low hanging fruit for us that our church might already be doing something related to service mm-hmm. and we go with our kids. I mentioned the compassion child, you know, the neighbor next door who's lonely, and you just want to bake brownies for them, and then you pray for them before you walk it over to them. I mean, that counts in anything we can do to help our kids think beyond themselves and experience that that process of being used by God together with them is a powerful, powerful opportunity for us as parents. Hmm. So,
0: I'm thinking of my husband's parents who just moved to town and he grew up doing a lot of mission trips. And I think I, when I met him, it was the thing that stood out is how bonded his family was because of these shared experiences. But thinking about them and the grandparents, you know, you have this book primarily written to parents. Why do you have an entire chapter on grandparents? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, both in my anecdotal experience and the data, Grandparents are so involved these days. I mean, so, in so many families, both parents are working. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been in car line to pick up my kids in elementary and seeing all these grandparents yeah. in car line are walking to pick up their kids or so I'm coordinating a play date and I'm coordinating not with another parent, but with a grandparent who's in charge of, you know, their, their grandkid every Tuesday and Thursday. So grandparents are so involved these days and have such a potential for influence Um, You know, if if you live close to your kids and grandkids, then that's certainly one great window. Um, But thanks to technology, I mean, grandparents are coming up with all sorts of creative ways to influence their kids, you know, by using FaceTime, by actually sending letters, um, by reading the same books and talking to them, by playing games online. I mean, there's a lot of senior adults who... Whatever they know about technology has been motivated because they want to connect with their 10-year-old grandkid. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for us as parents, goes back to that whole, who's our team for our kid. Um, a lot of times, it's a senior adult, whether it's somebody who's actually related to us or somebody who steps in kind of functionally as a grandparent, who has, maybe has more time to, uh, you know, to come to basketball games and to go to gymnastics meets than a lot of other adults and can be part of that five person team. So, so grandparents are making an enormous impact on young people today.
0: Love it. I mean, so far I'm thinking of all your advice about sticky face (laughs) and it's like relationship, relationship, relationship. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's wrap it up with this one. Uh, Parenting is obviously hard <laughs> and I know maybe even the person listening is already thinking, oh, I messed that up or I'm I'm constantly messing this up uh, and we are just making mistakes. What should we do when we do make a legitimate mistake? Not just this expectation of a should that Pinterest told us about but we've <laughs> right. we've made a mistake. We have handled something wrongly. Pinterest or any particular podcast. Yeah, podcast parenting book. Yeah. Some <laughs> right. some exactly. quote-unquote rule for a perfect child and that's yeah and we've we've not I'm not talking about those but we've we have made a mistake and we know the conviction of the holy spirit has convicted us that that was not the right way to handle it.
1: Yep. What do we I, do? I'm so glad you're asking that question Heather because I blow it all the time with my kids. And, you know, I, I, I study so much about family. I'm even more aware, I think, of the things that I blow with my kids. And one of the great things we learned by interviewing parents is uh, some of the most amazing parents were also the parents who apologize to their kids the most. Hmm. Um, And we're so quick to say, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I remember we were interviewing this one dad who had a high school daughter and two college daughters, and I called him at the appointed time for the interview, and I said, you know, we're here to talk about parenting, and he said, boy, I don't really know that I'm qualified. I've apologized to all three of my daughters in the last 48 hours, (laughs) Um, and I thought to myself because of what we had already seen in the research, like, yes, that's exactly why we want to interview you. Um, because you have that heart that is quick to apologize. And what I find I have to apologize a lot for with my kids is my tone of voice. If you were to look at a transcript of what I said, it's okay, but it's my tone of voice. That isn't what I want it to be. I'm either more frustrated or short or just plain angry. And, you know, I probably apologize. I apologize to my kids easily every week. Um, (laughs) And, you know, out of our research, especially when our kids were in elementary school and middle school, we actually talked at dinner. One of the questions we asked at dinner is, what mistake did you make today? Because we wanted to be able to talk about our mistakes. And sometimes that mistake involved how we treated each other. And we wanted to be able to talk about it. So, you know, Christianity is the only religion that I have ever found that I know of that revolves around grace. Um, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. And so, you know, out of out of our sticky faith work, I'm more committed and passionate about letting that same grace flavor our home and family interactions.
0: Yes. And for those who are maybe didn't have that modeled for them, a parent um, apologizing, what do you deem as a, Quality <laughs> apology—one that is covered in grace for the parent, but also kind of modeling what apologies look like. Does
1: that make yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely does. Um, it depends on the age of your kid, but I would say what I try to do in general in apologies, whether it's in fact my next phone call, I've got to apologize to somebody for, at work for something, um, uh, whether it's one of my kids or one of my colleagues. You know, I'm I'm sorry that I blank. Without giving an explanation or a defense for why I did it, Hmm. you know, I I find that's that's when an apology feels uh, more like an argument than just a plain out apology. And so, um, you know, especially with my kids, I don't know that I'll do it with my colleague in my next phone call. But I'm (laughs) I'm sorry that I blank. Will you forgive me? I try to keep it that simple. And usually they say, yeah, mom. And every once in a while, it takes them a little bit. And and I had one of our teenagers, I asked them uh, for forgiveness. You know, I'm, I'm sorry uh, for how I, I treated you and will you forgive me? And I could tell she was hesitant. And so I said, you need a little bit of time, don't you? And she said, yeah, I do. I said, okay, great. Let's loop back to it later tonight because she wasn't quite ready to um, forgive me. And I wanted her forgiveness to be real, even if it wasn't immediate. I'd rather have it be real than immediate. And so I had had to give her some time. So, Yeah, I think that's
0: even helpful when we're looking at relationships between siblings and this tendency to say, say you're sorry, say you're sorry. (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) there's a habit that I do recognize we need to make things right and make amends,
1: but a forced Sorry is <laughs> when it's coming through grit teeth. sometimes, right, right. Right. Yeah. You might need to give it 15 minutes or say, I, I can tell you're not ready. Let's revisit it in 15 minutes. Um, so Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we so appreciate you care for coming on the podcast and I want to make sure everyone listening can connect with you. We're definitely going to put links in the show notes, but could you just tell them so they can hear it where they can find you online?
1: Yeah. Best place is at our website, fuller um, that's fulleryouthinstitute.org. That would be the first and best place to go.
0: And what kinds of resources could they find there if, if they're yeah interested
1: in, uh, I, I should have said that. So I'm glad you asked. No, uh, we, we have hundreds of, uh, podcasts and posts and Um, blogs we've done. We have a very active social media presence. We have books uh, available for sale as well as chapters that are available for free. So um, uh, really there's something for everybody. Anybody who wants to help a young person's faith grow, especially if you're a leader or a parent or step-parent, that website is for you. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, Kara, so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Oh, thank you, Heather. Take care. All right. Adios. Okay, how are we doing? Are we feeling encouraged, discouraged? We are not gonna let the enemy come in and tell us where we're failing. So instead, we're gonna turn ourselves uh, over to God and ask Him what He has for our families after hearing Kara's information. So I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, I thank You that You love our kids more than we could ever imagine, that Your desire is that they walk with You in faith and that they trust you with their lives, and that they choose you over anything the world has to offer. I pray, Lord, that we would set aside any idols we have of what this looks like. I pray that we would set aside control. I pray that we would lean into where we are disconnected. I know for me, Lord, it reveals a lot of thinking how things should go and what things should look like and causing division with my kids because of these sets of rules that that no, nowhere in your word is it telling me these rules but i've decided that something makes me look like a bad mom and so they can't do it and lord i confess that i pray that i would trust you more with their future that i would myself pursue you so that they can see that you matter to me and that because of that connection they would choose you as well. I pray that you would bring to mind, continue to bring to mind adults that can speak into my boys' lives and into the lives of the kids represented um, of the listeners. And I pray that we would um, be wise in choosing those people and trusting them to disciple our kids. I thank you that uh, you do not require us to be the sole (laughs) discipler of our children and the freedom that's found in that. Um, I pray for marriages. I pray that we would all choose you, that you would open our eyes to see how you want us to see, to love what you want us to love, and to trust you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for listening. And. Interestingly, I didn't realize this when we set up the schedule. Next week, I'm actually gonna have two coaches from Connected Families, speaking of connection, come on and talk about questions that ways we can ask questions of our kids so we can stay connected through conflicts. So uh, I think that's gonna really help with this so you can have less arguing, more connecting with your kids. Thank you all for sharing these episodes with your friends. I got a notification and email that, do Mom Alone was in the top 100 of the Kids and Family podcasts, and it's because of y'all. It's because of you listening and sharing and leaving reviews, so thank you for that. Uh, if we can continue to point people to truth of who God is and where our help comes from, that is the goal. Uh, it is a noisy world right now, and I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to honor Him. I want to continue to remind people of the truth of His Word. And so even on Instagram, I am pointing y'all to these episodes, but I'm also, I have those centering truths and just anything else that I feel like can help uh, support and encourage us on this journey to be more like Him. All right. Thanks for trusting me. I'll talk to you soon. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast.